Judges 19. That's Judges 19 in the Old Testament. After the five books of the law, and then Joshua, and then Judges. Last time we were covering Judges and Judges 18, we saw the Danites, the tribe of Dan. Their personal idolatry, their jealousy, their murder, their disobedience to the Lord. And today we're also going to see a very disturbing portion of scripture uh, involving the tribe of Benjamin. This is one of those, towards the end it's, it's pretty brutal. This is probably one of the harshest portions of the Bible that we'll read. However, I think that, and I know that, and the Bible's clear that even the hard portions of scripture, there's a lesson to be learned. There's a time to be uplifted and then there's a time to mourn. So I believe as we go through this book, we're gonna see that it was a time of mourning at the, in the land of Israel. Uh, also, we mourn for the sins committed, but hopefully we can learn lessons. And this is why at Calvary, we, we um, don't omit, and some places do this, they omit the hard portions of scripture because they wanna keep everyone at a high. And it's really impossible to maintain that high. Life is filled with ups and downs, and we see that in the scripture also. So I, I kind of set you up there for that, and I'm glad as I look out here there's no children uh, because it is a pretty hard portion of Scripture. So Judges 19, without further ado, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite sojourning in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, including this chapter, the last three chapters say this, there was no king in Israel. Usually in scripture when something's repeated, it's something that we need to pay attention to. There's a serious spiritual connotation as well as a, a leaderless con connotation. The children of Israel lived without a, li um, a literal king, but they also discarded the king of all creation, the one who showed them the miracles, the one who sent them through the Red Sea, the one who allowed them to conquer uh, Canaan, right? And the one who gave them the law, the one who gave them Moses and Joshua. And now there's a, a very decadent point in Israel's uh, history where all that seems to have been forgotten. And you know, you can see that a parallel in any country. You can look at our country. In the absence of strong leadership and godly leadership, the country is like a boat with no, no rudder, no sails. It's just driven wherever the, the sea tosses it. It's got no direction politically and spiritually. Now this Levite, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, they're, the, they're of the religious class. You know, They, along with the priests, um, did the work that was done around the temple, right? where God actually said he would manifest himself in a physical way. All right, but we see uh, in these last three, ch three chapters, these Levites, and I believe that this Levite is different than the one in the last two, um, they're just not attending to God's business. They were responsible for the well-being spiritually of the children of Israel, but intend, in, uh, instead, these Levites have been taking the lead in sinning. They become the chief sinners here. Now, the word concubine, it's not what God would have had it from the beginning. God created man and women, man and woman to be together, and they were one flesh. But over time, you know, of course, with sin, then there's always a perversion of how God started things. You look at the family, right? What does Satan do? He perverts that, that, um, that image. So a concubine was more of a paramour or a lover. 
If you look at the old Hebrew culture, uh, these women had some basic rights, but in essence, they were a second-class wife. Uh, they were, as I believe Solomon had, what, 300 wives and 700 concubines? <laughs> That's for another time to t discuss. But in instead, instead of raising a family and training his boys in the Le Levitical custom and teaching the children of Israel, this Levite was doing the following. He was a vagrant. He was aimless. Uh, we'll see that he was a, he'd sit down and, and, you know, maybe he was a partier. He would drink and he would tell tales and he would seek pleasure and he wasn't in the Lord's business, right? And again, how many men of God today are doing the same thing, right? How many men of God are reflecting the culture, uh, the, the um, contemporary culture, and then what happens to the rest of society when these leaders engage in this behavior? They follow suit. Verse 2. But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Please, be content to stay all night and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart, but the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here, that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early, so that you may get home. But the man was not willing to spend that night, so he rose and departed and came to a place opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. With him, or with him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. So you, you got this concubine. She's kind of like a, a wife, sort of. Um, and then you have her, you know, having an adulterous relationship. And, and then he goes after her. And, I mean, this is like a convoluted story, as we'll see. Um, it starts to look more like a soap opera than scripture as we go through this. Uh, so the concubine commits adultery, then she goes to her father's house, and then he misses her, so he goes there and they reconcile, and the dad and him end up really getting along, and they eat and drink together, enjoy each other's company, and then eventually the Levite leaves and takes her with him. Now, it doesn't seem like the Levite has a whole lot of goals or purpose in life. If he was in his father's business like he should have been, um, it would have been better, but he seems to live for the moment. You know, that's true for anybody. It doesn't matter what our position is. We don't have to be a Levite. We don't have to be a pastor. We all need to be about our Father's business. And when we, you know, when we don't follow what he's called us to do, we end up empty inside. We end up, you know, aimless in life. So, again, if this, this Levite was different from the one in the last two chapters, these guys don't have a very good track record at this time in history. Now, he does say in verse 18, we'll get to that, that his final destination 
is the house of the Lord. And uh, understanding the time period, it was probably the ark was in Shiloh at the time. Uh, it didn't go to Jerusalem until many years later when David was able to rid the Jebusites. Um, but he's certainly taking the long way. In this chapter and in the last two chapters, again, these are the men of God, the Levites. We don't see any example of prayer. We don't see any example of them following the law. As a matter of fact, they often more break the law than follow it. Um, we don't see them doing their Levitical duties. We don't see them teaching the people. And we don't see them living their life in a moral fashion. Verse 11. They were near Jebus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, Come, please, and let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside to go into the lodge, or to, into lodge at Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Now, he could have stayed, or they could have stayed the small crew in, with the Jebusites, but because of nationalism, the Levite decided, you know, let's just keep going and lodge at least among our own people, not among these heathen. But as we'll see later, it probably would have been better off if they would have spent the night with the foreigners. And what we see is that his own people wouldn't take him in. Now this, you know, I meet people today, right? We have a different culture in America. I love meeting different people. I meet people from the Middle East all the time, uh, whether it be Egypt or some of these other lands, and they're very hospitable. They'll give you stuff. If you eat at their house, they'll I mean, they'll just put on honors for you. So even today in the Middle East, hospitality is big. And it's, it's much bigger than it is in America. Uh, in those days, it was the same way. You know, you didn't have street lamps at night. You didn't have police patrolling. You didn't have a lot of the comfort, cell phones, right? So if there was foreigners in the land, it was an honor for someone to see you and say, will you stay in my house tonight? But here in, the, in Israel, okay, it doesn't exist anymore. Society has broken down, and this custom that was really started out of love to take strangers into your home didn't exist anymore. I'm going to read, I'm going to divert to the New Testament briefly, 2 Timothy 3, just to show you, and this is interesting because, you know, I was an economics major, and the economy has four cycles, right? It goes up and down, up and down. But you know what? There's also cycles to revival in a sense and in history you see society gets so decadent you see it in the judges children of Israel cried out Lord this is awful no problem I'm going to send you a judge you, you're really bad you got to repent we repent sends them a judge everything's good there's prosperity then they start forgetting about God and it starts decaying again and you see these cycles even in America there's some great revivals in this country you know you can read about them but you had this cycle of apostasy and decadency, and then revival. So 2 Timothy 3, I just want to read this because it talks about the coming of apostasy, right? How, how things get really bad. It says, but know this, that in the last days, and this is specifically towards our near future, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, 
Look at the rate of juvenile crime. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know, it talks about also the love, the love growing cold, okay? This is what apostasy does. And in this instance, the love grew cold. People didn't love each other. They wouldn't, so somebody's walking along, they don't care. I'm not going to give them my food and have them at my house. Just ignore them. So this is what you had in this, in this situation. Verse 16. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was sojourning in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjaminites, or Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city, and, sa- and the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? So he said to him, We're passing from Bethlehem in Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and now I am going to the house of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me into, this ha- into his house. Although we also have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your maidservant and for the young man who was with your servant, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility and do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder to the donkeys and they washed their feet and they ate and they drank. Now, I don't take any of the words that the Holy Spirit uses to put in the Bible for granted. He was an old man. What I get out of that is, and I'm going to, I may be guilty of isogesis reading into the text, but, you know, this guy's from the old school. He probably was an old farmer. He probably remembered the days when the children of Israel had some type of mini revival and things were going good. And he sees that the, the younger generations, nobody's taking these people in. So he knows that this place is problems, you know, at night, the crime, um, you know, the society is decadent. So he says to them, listen, you better lodge with me, and whatever you do, don't stay in that open square overnight. There's going to be problems. So, again, there's no king, and the people have no reverence for God. And if they have no reverence for God, then they don't love other people, and society is broken. Now, just for, um, for those of you who are into the geography, I, I know Arnie probably likes geography, so I threw this in here. Uh, Gibeah and Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was one of the 12 tribes. He was, I believe he was the youngest, right? And he also had his progeny, and um, from the tribe of Benjamin, this is where Gibeah is. It's just north of Judah. And basically, this is the tour. Uh, the, the Levite goes from Ephraim to Bethlehem uh, to uh, Jebus, which becomes Jerusalem, to Gibeah, possibly looking to go to Shiloh. And all this activity took place basically on the west side of the Jordan River, all right, all in that kind of area there. Verse 22. This is disturbing. I'm going to read it, but, you know, it's pretty bad. Now, as they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally, it means sexually. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, 
do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please, but to this man do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the men took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night till morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. To say the least, this is very disturbing. Um, it's so bad that it actually causes a civil war in, in the land of Israel. This is such a, a gruesome crime. Um, you know, the, it, the 12 tribes find out about this and it causes a lot of bloodshed and tens of thousands of people lose their lives in war because of this atrocity. As a matter of fact, Hosea the prophet refers back to this amazingly uh, many years later in Hosea 9.9 and Hosea 10.9 regarding judgment and how God will judge. These people aren't going to get away with this. But this is a lawless society, and this reminds me of when I was younger. I used to like to watch those Mad Max movies, Mel Gibson, you know, it's just anarchy and people are shooting each other, and it's just crazy. There's no God, there's no love, and there's no law. There's none of that. But is it any different today? You could read cable news, you could read um, you know, print news, uh, you see what juveniles are committing the same crimes as adults. And you know, I've been a cop for 18 years. If I ever had to shoot somebody, I'd feel awful. You know? um, and I think I'm a pretty tough guy. But I, you know what it is? I think it is that, and I know it is, if you don't have God and you don't have the Holy Spirit, all you think about is your own survival. All you think about is your own pleasure. You don't look at it as another person, as a human. You look at them as something that you can use. So, but again, today, human trafficking. You know, you got young girls, keep an eye on them because there's sick people out there looking to just take them. Um, there's still black slavery, believe it or not. You know, we got rid of it because it was bad, but they're still capturing people from their villages and selling them overseas. Black people, it's terrible. There's white slavery, black slavery. Um, millions of babies are aborted every year. So I don't know that we've really improved that much, you know? See, it's sanitized, and you can look at what you want to and, or put it out of your mind. You know, a lot of it's sanitized. A lot of it, we're desensitized, and now we're starting to accept it, but we're still sick. We're just as sick as they were back then. So I think, listen... The moral of the story is uh, we need to pray for our society because this is where we live now. We need to pray for people overseas. They just burned um, villages in, in, was it East, West, East or West Pakistan um, because there was a rumor that the Christians desecrated the Koran, and that's how all these things start. So they went into Christian villages and started burning these people alive. It's a sick world, you know? Anyway, back to the story. Um, the priesthood, the Levites weren't teaching the fathers, and the, far, the fathers weren't teaching their children. Guys, ladies, we need to teach our kids. And even if you don't have a great knowledge of the Bible, teach them something. At least teach them by example, because this is the breakdown. The religious leaders were not teaching the heads of the household, and the heads of the household were not teaching their households. So what do you have? You've got nothing, right? These men of Gibeah saw... They probably had scouts. They probably looked to see when a new man would come into town and they were scouting the guy out during the day. And at night they banged on the door. It's really sick. Um, and 
They didn't get a man, but they got a woman, and, you know, whatever works, whatever they could gratify themselves with. It's tragic when God's own people, the Danites in the last few chapters, and now the Benjaminites, act worse than the heathen. And it's amazing because we just saw this parallel in 1 Corinthians 5 on Sunday, didn't we? What does the Apostle Paul say? I see there's sexual immorality in that church, and it's not even named among the Gentiles. You guys are so wicked in that church that the Gentiles aren't doing what you're doing. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the unsaved, okay? So Paul was livid about the behavior inside the church. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, that all you have to do, okay, because we've all seen cults and we've all seen religion abused, it doesn't mean that if you join a church or you say you're the chosen people or whatever it is, that automatically you're going to heaven. It don't work that way. You have to have your own faith. And if you think you're going to get involved with some type of group, and that you're going to ride their coattails into heaven behaving like this, it ain't going to happen. I just want to make that clear. God sees all. He knows the heart. And I would say this, a few notes on this. How could a father say, here's my daughter, and how could a husband say, here's my wife? I just, I'm looking at these guys in the story, and they're not even acting like men. I mean, you know. But what do we see today in law enforcement? There's this trend now where mothers sell their children for money. Little kids sell them to perverts just for money, for drugs or what have you. So again, have we really gotten much better? You know, we're so smart, we're so educated, we're so technologically advanced, we're brilliant, we have computers, but we still do this kind of sick stuff in our society. I know it's difficult. I, I didn't like studying it, but I, I can't skip portions of scripture. I have to, you know, do it all here. Verse 27. When her master arose in the morning, hey, did you have a good night's sleep, pal, you know? And he opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. There was his concubine falling at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up and let us be going. And there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. Then he entered his house. He took a knife, laid hold of his concubine and dismembered her into 12 pieces, limb by limb and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. In other words, you know, it's the bad news traveled, and, and he uh, certainly used a unique way to get his point across, but everybody in Israel saw how sick this was, and, you know, again, this starts the plunge into um, a civil war. But, again, looking at their, their mindsets, he leaves his concubine out there all night, and then he, you know, gets up, stretches or whatever, and walks out the door and says, come on, let's get going. It's shocking. This is supposed to be a man of God, and he has no conscience. He has no feeling, you know? And, again, if the men of God behave this way, how could you expect anything more from society? Instead of following the law for justice, he didn't even follow the law. He didn't even go for justice. He figures out his own interesting way to get everybody's attention, and it's just problem on top of problem. Um, you know, look at contemporary society, look around the world. Um, in Iran, there's more stories coming out about the abuse of women. Um, you know, if a guy wants to get rid of his wife, he makes up some charge and he can stone her in the village. Uh, many countries, if somebody is starving and they steal a piece of bread, they get their hands chopped off. 
So now they're starving, and then I have, they have no hands on top of it. Um, I remember videos of Saddam's, Saddam's Iraq. Uh, his punishment for people would either, saw it on video, he cut out their tongues on video, or he'd tie their hands behind their back and throw them off roofs. Um, Islamic militants beheading live people, disturbing. In India, children are thrown off buildings or thrown into the Ganges River as part of rituals um, to die. And again, even here in America, we, we glamorize Charles Manson. Still, he has a cult following. Um, Ted Bundy, any of these people, you know, they, they torture their victims and, you know, people wear shirts with their pictures. It's like a cult following, you know. How sick is our society? We're no better. You know, what is this a result of? Well, in, in the days of Israel, there was no king. In the 60s in America, we kicked out the king of kings and the lord of lords. We kicked him out of the courts. We've kicked him out of the schools, uh, trying to kick him out of public life. Some countries have been, you know, in atheism and, and uh, communism, and uh, they're starting to say, hey, this isn't working, and they're allowing missionaries in. We're going the other way. We're kicking them out. We're saying no God, no Jesus, no Ten Commandments. Imagine that. You know, our laws are based on Judeo-Christian laws, but... Uh, there, there are court buildings now where they've actually, the engravings in the marble over years, they've actually uh, whitewashed it or covered it with plaster or, or just completely torn it down or put sheets up. God forbid people coming into court read, you shall not kill, you shall not steal. Uh, isn't that what they're being tried for, right? So I think God's word is here to tell us, uh, show us a simple lesson. When we remove God from our society, we can watch how fast it's it spirals down out of control. Anything goes at that point. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. How fitting. The human heart is incurably sick, right? And humans will destroy each other if left to their own devices, if not redeemed by God's grace and salvation. And I would just say this, and I'm thinking, what good can I find in this passage of Scripture? And the only thing I can say to you is that, um, again, I don't think we've gotten much better since these days. I mean, you see some crimes that rival this. Uh, but what I would say is that it, it should really give us an urgency when we leave here tonight to pray. We need to pray. You know? There are um, uh, Jews in Israel that are having a revival. I mean, there's a lot of groups that go in there and they report back. And the Jews who, who come to their Messiah, Yeshua, uh, are heavily persecuted. They actually have groups that firebomb their cars. You know what I'm saying? So the light is getting in everywhere. But the demonic forces are trying to stop the light. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters. We need to pray for our Iranian brothers and sisters, Pakistani brothers and sisters. You know, we have it good here. But they're suffering, you know, and they're losing their lives early. So I just would end with saying um, we need to pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, 